We're in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4 this morning. And um, the end of Mark chapter 3, we were reminded of the importance of the will of God. Jesus said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And then immediately afterwards, on the same day, Matthew's Gospel tells us, um, Jesus goes out to the sea and he begins teaching. And that's where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. Now the center of our text brings our attention to these sowers sowing the seed and there's different types of soil. And we're taught there about the ways that we respond to the word of God. The seed that is sown in our hearts, in our lives. And as I reflect on that, as we think about the word of God and its place in our lives, what place does it have with all of the distractions and the troubles that we may have in our lives? We pay attention these days to the news talking about the trucker convoy and talking about the conflict in Ukraine and all of these things, where is God's word? Is God's word in our hearts and on our minds? Jesus calls us through this parable to pay attention, to watch our response to his word. What do we do with the word of God? Because how we respond to the word of God exposes our heart's condition. If we want to do God's will in this world, we need to pay attention to his word. We're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 4, and we'll read through to verse 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky soil where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because there was no depth to the ground there. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. May we hear his word this morning. 
Jesus has gone out to teach the crowd. He goes out to teach beside the sea and he gets in a boat so that he can speak to the crowd on the land. And he begins to teach in parables. Parable. What is that? What's a parable? A parable is a figurative saying. It could be all sorts. It could be an illustrative story like the one we have here. Sometimes it's in the form of a proverb or a riddle or a metaphor that, that is used. A parable is a, a saying where the meaning is not on the surface. At the same time that they reveal truth by their nature, they're intended to convey truth. Yet they also require understanding. And uh, we'll see Jesus talking about this in the next few verses. But here's what I want us to notice when Jesus brings up this parable of the sower sowing the seed. Jesus is calling us to pay attention. He begins in verse 3, listen. Literally the word hear. Watch then, he says, behold. And then he ends in verse 9, after giving this parable, by saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. I don't know what they were thinking when they heard this, but I'm thinking, I got ears. Maybe Jesus is telling me, listen up. You know, I had a boss who used to say to us, he said, get your ears on. And what he meant was when we weren't listening to him, we weren't paying attention, we were goofing off, whatever. He's like, get your ears on, pay attention. Watch, Jesus says at the beginning as well. He wants us to pay attention to what he's going to say. And what he's going to reveal about the hearts of those who hear the word of God. Now some of the people there did heed Jesus. And they came, verse 10 tells us, to ask more about parables. And Jesus gives a response. He gives a response first in explaining his use of parables. Why? And secondly, he explains the parable that he gave them. Why he wanted them to listen up. Pay attention. So we're going to first look at verses 10 to 13 of Mark chapter 4. Afterwards, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, so there was a group, whole group of them, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forget, forgot, forgiven. <laughs> uh, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? 
How then will you understand all the parables? So Jesus answers their, their questions first by talking about the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God. It seems that the kingdom of God is central to the parables. And we'll see this very clearly in the continuing parables after this, that they continue to have the, the theme of the kingdom of God being revealed, being made known uh, among men. So he says that to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Until now, the whole picture of the kingdom of God was hidden. God revealed things in part. Now, his reign is being revealed in Jesus Christ. So the parables emphasize the kingdom of God. And Jesus says that this mystery is given to you, those that were listening, to know. Verse 11. In other words, it comes from outside of us. It comes from outside of you, this, this mystery, this understanding of this mystery. It comes by the grace of God. Paul would write to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul is saying there's no room for their boasting about the knowledge of God, for it comes as a gift. It comes, it's given in the word of God. It's given to you to know it comes to the grace of God. It also comes to those who ask in faith. As the psalmist who cried out to God, give me understanding that I might live. As the disciples and those others who came to Jesus to ask him. And God, Jesus gave them understanding of the Spirit. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, we'll get to that later. But Jesus, we see it was his practice to explain to them afterwards. The parables that have been given. Do you personally know the word of God by grace through faith? God's word must be in us for his word to transform us. His word must be in our heart. We must receive it. This gift of God's grace in revealing himself and his reign and his kingdom to mankind. But we are told very clearly that the kingdom of God is not known to all. 
There's a flip side to this. Just as truth was being revealed, as the kingdom of God is being made known, there are those who reject it. There are those who the kingdom of God remains hidden. Just as God had told Isaiah that it would. And at that time, God gave Israel over to their rejection of him, their unbelief. And Jesus applies the the text of Isaiah saying that this is true today. This was true when he revealed, when he spoke in parables. Jesus didn't speak in parables because it was the most memorable thing or because it was easier to understand. It wasn't. Disciples had to ask what they meant. Jesus, by speaking in parables, was revealing the hearts of the people. Would they receive the word of God? Would they listen up? Would they care to understand and to know the good news that he is offering? He continues in verse 13. He says, do you not understand? If you don't get this, how are you going to understand all the other parables? See, there's something unique about this parable in that it reveals how we respond to the word of God. We don't understand that we must receive the word of God. We won't understand all of the rest. The parables, all of them, bring us as a hearer to a place that requires a choice. We may either stumble over the word, reject it, be offended by it, or change. You can be changed by the word of God. Jesus' parables call us each time to hear his word, to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. And so I ask myself and I ask you, are you, are we willing, are we open to the truth? Are we willing to submit to Jesus' word? Now, Jesus explains the parable to us. I want to go through that. He doesn't leave his disciples with a a puzzle to unravel. He explains his word to us here. Says, In verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path 
where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in their hearts. And, the, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. This parable describes a very ordinary scene. The farmer out scattering seed in his fields. And Jesus gets right to the point in verse 14. It's a short little verse for us to remember. What is the seed? The seed is the word. The sower sows the word. In Luke, we're told that the the, the word of God. Matthew describes it. The word of the kingdom. The word about the kingdom of God. And Matthew especially emphasizes the coming of the kingdom of God. But this word. The word of God. Is sown. On the soils. And Jesus talks about the different soils. The seeds sown on the path on the rocky ground, among thorns, and good soil. And each one of these soils is identified with those who hear God's Word. God's Word is given to them. The seed is sown. They've been exposed to it. They've heard it. What will they do what happens when the seed, the word of God, meets the soils like you and I? The first seed falls beside the path on untilled, packed ground. path would often go right between two fields and it would be hardened by people walking wherever they needed to go along the path. But on the side, this farmer would just be throwing seed everywhere he could, could throw it. He'd plow it up after. This soil, Jesus reveals to us, is completely unreceptive to the seed, to the word of God. The word of God doesn't go anywhere. They don't have any interest. They don't give a second thought to the word of God. With the birds, we have this image of 
of, Jesus says, Satan's activity. The lies of Satan win the day in this person's heart. And the word of God goes in one ear and out the other. Many people are like this. They might sit and listen to the word of God. Might be agreeable when the word is shared. No problem. Okay, I'll listen. Right? I'll give it a shot. I'll hear it out. But then they go their way with no desire to change. The word of God is not planted in deep in their hearts. You can hear the word of God and not receive it. The second seed fell on a shallow ground. It was shallow because the rocks underneath left little room for growth. Now folks like this, hear the word, Jesus says, and right away they receive it with joy immediately. This is awesome. They're excited to hear about the kingdom of God. They like the sound of eternal life. God's blessing. Whatever else they might hear that appeals to them. And so they, they accept that. Right away. As long as it isn't painful. As long as it isn't hard. As long as God keeps troubles and persecutions away, God doesn't promise those things. He doesn't promise freedom from pain. He doesn't promise that there won't be people who might persecute us. Verse 17 says that when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, notice, it's for the word's sake. When push comes to shove, if you have to pay for obeying God, for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and following him, will you do it? Verse 17 says, immediately they stumble, they fall. Just as quickly as they accepted the word, they reject it. It's that same word, immediately. Right away. When it's not convenient for us. When it's going to be painful for us. I hope we can see that this might be a warning in our hearts and lives, for we, in many ways, have not experienced. Certainly not the persecution aspect. Whatever troubles or persecution comes for Jesus' sake, for the Word's sake, 
Can we trust God? Is our faith deep-rooted? I was thinking about what deep, true, lasting faith looks like, and I was reminded of Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 1. He talks about the imperishable future inheritance that we have. Now we can greatly rejoice because we know that any sufferings for the sake of Jesus, any trials, they're there to purify us. They're there for a little while. But Jesus is risen. And so we have an eternal hope. Later on, Peter says that Jesus is worth suffering for. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3, you're blessed if you, even if you suffer for Christ. Can you say that with the Apostle Paul? That you are blessed in knowing Jesus and even if you suffer for his sake. But you're better off for knowing him. You're better off for believing the word of God. How deeply rooted is our faith? Even if. Now we begin to see a bit of a progression happening. We have those that just reject it uh, right away. Doesn't make an impact. And we have those that hear and are excited. You could be excited about the word and not receive it. Not receive all of it. Not really receive Jesus as your king. You can also be distracted by other things when you hear the word of God. The third seed fell on ground covered in thorns. And the seed survives. Great. I think, oh, it's doing pretty good. Doing better than the rest. It's going along. It's growing up. There's this green plant growing. Oh, but no grain. It's not producing. Why? Jesus says that it's choked out. And he talks about three things. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. And desires for other things. Now the way that Matthew and the way that Luke word it, just a little bit different each time, but the same idea. Worries or cares. Riches and desires. For different things take up our attention don't they when we've got this word on our minds God's word is crowded out doesn't have the first place of 
of our attention. It's not what guides, what governs the way that we think and the way that we act when we're distracted by other things. Let's talk about each in turn just briefly. Cares, Matthew 6 defines the cares or worries of this world as clothes, food, uh, things like provisions for tomorrow, things that we need. But they're secondary to God's kingdom. And Jesus tells us there that God knows we need these things. When we become distracted, when we begin to dwell on and worry over these things and worry about tomorrow that's not here yet, we begin to be weighed down. And our attention is not directed to the Lord who can care for us. That's why we're told to pray when you worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, pray. Philippians chapter 4. We can be distracted by all kinds of cares, legitimate cares. But the Word of God teaches us that when we put the kingdom of God first and we seek Him above everything, He promises to take care of us. It may stretch us. It may look different than we expected. But He'll provide for our needs. Can we believe God's Word? Are we going to listen to the cares of this world? Second thing mentioned by Jesus is riches. They are described as deceitful. Why? They promise you happiness. They promise you fulfillment. But they lie. It's nothing fine. Riches, money, great. We know that it's the love of money that produces all kinds of evil. But riches are deceitful because they promise all kinds of things. They can't give us an eternal hope or a place in the kingdom of God, treasures that are eternal. Whether we have little or much doesn't matter in God's kingdom. It is what we do with what we have that matters. Riches can distract us. The third thing mentioned is desires. What desires? Well, it says desires for other things. That is about as broad as you can get (laughs) when you think about it. Desiring other things. It's pretty innocent. We like, we love, we might say love a lot these days. I love that, love this. There's all kinds of things that we can be busy with that are other things other than doing the work of God's kingdom, other than seeking God, other than delighting in Him. 
We could waste hours on hobbies, on TV. It's not that these things are necessarily bad, but we can become so tangled up with them, so busy that we don't do or care about what God cares about. And so many things can become a distraction. When life becomes more about this life than life with Jesus Christ, the word of God is not going to bear fruit in our lives. So maybe it's time to do a little bit of reflection, a little bit of weeding, looking at the things that we pay attention to, the things that we surround our lives with. Are there things in our lives that are choking out our desire for God, our willingness to hear and obey his word? Well, we might say, well, yeah, okay. So how will you make room for God's word then? What will you do if you sense that something is a distraction? You spend, you pour too much time down that hole. You worry too much about this or that thing. Finances are all you think about. You can hear the word of God and not receive it. You can be excited about the word of God. And not receive it. And you can be so distracted by different things that you don't hear the word of God. Your life doesn't produce fruit that is pleasing to God. The first three soils. do not produce any fruit because they did not receive the word with the intent to obey other things became more important to them in the word of God. But there's also good soil at the very end. Mark 1 verse 20 says, the ones who hear the word Accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. If you want to do God's will, you must receive His Word. You want to live a fruitful life, a life that is pleasing to God. It's that simple. That we would be willing to seek his will and to do what he says, no matter what happens. That we would be willing to look at our lives and let nothing hinder God's word 
from dwelling in us. I wonder if we took a soil test of our hearts today, what would be exposed? I hope that the things that I have shared with you about these soils have caused you to consider your heart's condition. Consider whether you do pay attention to the Word of God. Whether you desire His will and His Word in your life. And I want you to remember that our only hope to live a fruitful life is by grace through faith in Jesus, trusting in his person and work and word. When we are weak, when we are failing, his word can change our hearts. He gives us His Word by His grace so that we would know Him and know His will. And that is a wonderful thing. We have His Word in our lives. It's also a warning so that we would hear and respond by accepting God's Word. That we'd heed this warning of the soils that rejected the seed and turn from hard hearted, shallow, and divided hearts to Jesus Christ, who offers a new heart and new life in Him. Do we really see? How wonderful the grace of God is. How good it is to know Him. I want to close with the words of the psalmist. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as they did at Meribah. And in Massa, when your fathers put me to the test, now is the time to pay attention to the word.